So this is session seven. If you were with us last week, we, we, what we attempted to try and do is develop a, a biblical understanding of, of really the person and how that relates to uh, mental health. And so let me, let me briefly um, just, just review that. I'm gonna do this really quickly and then we'll move on to our, our, our topic for today. But when developing a, a biblical understanding um, of, of mental illness or mental health, we really need to ask the question, ask and answer the question, who are we, right? We, we wanted to understand who are we? And, and we said the Bible gives us some, uh, really answers that question. It tells us who we are. And we said in big, broad, sweeping terms, who we are is created by God and in his image. We said that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, right? Pretty amazing. We also said, uh, the, the Bible says that we are born in sin, okay? We're born in sin. Um, also, the Bible says that when we repent and turn to Jesus, we are a new creation in Jesus Christ. And even though that's true, yet we still struggle with our sinful nature. Like that's big, broad, sweeping statements. And more specifically, we said that, that we're created as human beings with both an inner person and an outer person right? We would say body and soul, right? The, the Bible uses the word heart to kind of capture this inner person. And the inner person, this heart, is kind of the control center of, of who we are, right? Uh, our, with our hearts, we think, you know, we desire, we choose. And then we're also inner person and outer person were this integrated whole body and soul, if you will. And, um, we said that, that our bodies, you know, everything we, we hear, everything we experience is mediated through, through our bodies. And we said that our bodies affect, you know, our outer person affects our inner person. So, you know, uh, a, a poor night's sleep, chronic sickness, those bodily uh, challenges or struggles definitely affect our inner person and vice versa. You know, um, we talked about, I, I think it was uh, uh, Psalm 32 where, where David says, man, I kept silent about my, my guilt and it, my bones wasted away. So there's this two-way uh, interaction between our, our bodies and our, the control center, our heart. And we said also we're embedded in the world, okay? So we're embedded in the world. There's a culture that influences us and affects us. Um, there's experiences in life that affect us. And um, uh, yeah. And then finally, we said this. We also live in the context of spiritual realities. We said, first and foremost, there's the sovereign Lord who, who rules us and over all things and who ultimately works all things for ultimate good purposes. And there's also a power for evil. Although God's victory is assured, already won, 
it's certain. God's victory over evil and the evil one is certain. In this present age, our enemy, Satan, can still inflict damage, destruction, deception upon, upon all people and the people of God as well. So the reason that's important, what all this means, is that our struggles with mental health can be complicated. There's a lot going on to who we are, right? So our struggles with mental health can be complicated. And most of the time, our struggles are not just one thing. Even though in our culture, when we struggle with mental health, we tend to kind of focus on the biological we're saying, no, we're, we're, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And there's a lot of potentially, there's a lot of contributing factors to our struggles, social factors, personal factors, moral and spiritual factors, not just purely biological. So today I want us to consider or talk about the topic of medication. Quite honestly, this isn't the most exciting thing for me. I'd rather talk about the Bible to be honest, uh, but, <clears throat> but I think it's an important topic to talk about. And so um, I, I, think, I think the reason it's important is because it's such a big topic in our culture. And so um, before we do that, let me, let me pray for us and we'll, we'll see what God has for us. Our Father and our God, we thank you for gathering us together today. Thank you for wisdom. Father, I, I pray that as we talk, as we think about these things, Lord, you would give us a spirit of wisdom, uh, a spirit of grace. Um, Lord, I, I pray that, uh, that this discussion would be helpful as, as we think about uh, mental health, as we think about uh, the struggles of life in a fallen world. And Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So uh, my goal today is to share general principles in understanding medication and, um, and specifically psychoactive medications. Psychoactive just meaning medications that work on the brain, okay? Sometimes they're called psychotropic. Um, and in my experience, the topic of medication tends to be one of the most divisive topics in the church. And I'm, I'm, hoping, uh, I'm hoping I'm not going to upset anybody today. Uh, so my, my plea is that we give grace for this topic. We give great. You may have a different perspective than I do. And my, my conviction is this is a wisdom issue. Okay. And, and so I'm going to, I'm going to give my best wisdom on this. Uh, what is it? February 25th, 2024. So that's what this is, right? This, this is not the final word. I'm not giving you, you know, a word from above on medications. This is not even an official position by this church. This is my, I'm just a, a pastor and this is just my best attempt to kind of read the Bible, read our culture, Medications. It's just my attempt to, to try and be wise, to try and be wise. So, um, so a lot of the, well, the material I'm going to share today is from this book, uh, Mental Health in Your Church. And um, 
where, where they land has pretty much been where I've been the last few years. And so they do a good job of, of kind of putting it together. And um, over the years, I've, I've heard stories uh, from people. I've heard stories from people. And they've shared that medication has been incredibly helpful. Okay? And I've heard stories from people that I know that have said medication has been very unhelpful. So I've heard both. So as we begin this morning, here's the question. And I, I, we won't have a chance to dialogue about this a ton, but what stories have you heard about medications being helpful or unhelpful with those struggling with mental illness? What, what stories have you heard? Helpful, unhelpful, um, yeah. Yeah, Ross. Um, my story I heard was helpful. Okay. Um, my, my son suffers from anxiety. Yeah. disorder, this person was taking medication, then went off it, and things got much worse. Yeah. So, so there's an there's a instance of it being very helpful when it was taken away, realized how helpful it, it was. Yeah, Emma. heard a few helpful. Yeah, Neil. I spoke with him in prison. Whoa. 
Okay. Yeah. That 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 and I know that's that, an example. Yeah. I want to give a caveat. That is not that's just what he told me. Yeah. Extreme ex, an example of it of, of medication potentially being extremely unhelpful. And and I I I've heard stories on, on both sides. I really have. I've heard not not that extreme, but I have I, I know some folks that have tried uh, medication and the side effects, at least the way it, it affected them, it was very negative and it was it was unhelpful. So, so we probably heard uh, stories from both sides, and I think I'm going to just skip over that. Let's let's talk about this this thing called medication, and I, I want to begin uh, this morning trying to understand general principles of medication, and I first want to address the popular idea that antidepressants help us kind of top up or, or increase the levels of serotonin in our brain. So the authors in this book give an example of Tanya. I'm just going to read a little bit of this. So <clears throat> Tanya had been struggling with, with low mood for, for some months. It was hard for her to get out of bed, hard to, to get to work, hard to get to small group meetings. Things got so bad that she visited her doctor. He gave her some helpful general advice and suggested they meet again in a couple months. He said that if things hadn't improved, it might be worth her starting some antidepressant medication and suggested she give that idea some thought. Not knowing much about antidepressants, Tanya asked advice from, from close friends and one of them, Sharon, said that she had recently read a helpful article about this Online, So Sharon read uh, an article online and the article explained how there's a substance called serotonin. How many have heard of serotonin? Okay, you're all with me. Which natu is naturally made uh, in our brains and that induces a sense of happiness and well-being. And the article went on to say that we all have something like a serotonin tank in our brains which needs sufficient quantities of this substance uh, in order to keep our mood positive. Sometimes the tank gets too low, and when that happens, we experience depression. Taking an antidepressant changes that. SSRIs, which are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, it's a type of drug, antidepressant drug, the article said, work by increasing uh, the levels, the levels of serotonin in our tank and restoring, uh, restoring right levels of serotonin. Once the level is restored, our mood improves and the depression disappears. Tanya found this explanation hugely helpful, not least because it made taking antidepressants seem so obviously the right thing to do. She went back to her doctor and started on antidepressants the following day. She said she was feeling positive about the future for the first time 
in months. According to this description, depression is kind of like diabetes, right? Like with diabetes, you can actually do a blood test, right? And, and through this blood test, uh, they can determine that, uh, that your pancreas isn't producing enough insulin, right? And, um, and that you need insulin injections. So it, this, this idea of, of, um, of topping up our serotonin is kind of likened to diabetes. We don't have enough insulin. We need a drug to increase our levels of insulin. Um, but here's how the author responds to that popular, um, to that, that popular understanding of serotonin. He says this, only it just isn't that simple. And the author recalls um, taking a class in, in neuropharmacology, which is, which is the study of how, how drugs work on our brains. He was in a, in a class on neuropharmacology and, and he remembered the professor making a very striking statement. Here's what the professor said in his neuropharmacology class. What you need to understand is that with our current understanding of brain functioning and with the drugs we have available, all our efforts to affect brain functioning with the use of drugs is a bit like a mechanic trying to fix a faulty car by opening the hood, right, and hitting the engine with a hammer. Now, you may be somewhat skeptical about that assessment, I have a, a, a very good friend who's an anesthesiologist. He knows a little something about drugs and how they function in the body. And when I, 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 I wanted to run some of this by him, just, dude, am I, am I off the farm? And, and, and when I read him that quote, he said, yeah, that's about right. That's about right. Which is kind of scary because he's an anesthesiologist. So <laughs> he's... He, He's like, we, we don't know exactly how these work. When you go to have anesthesia, he's like, yeah, we don't know exactly how these work, but we know they work. <laughs> or why they work, but we know they work. Yeah, anyway, that's another story. So, so the point is, you can identify diabetes by measuring the level of hormones in the blood. The tests confirm the diagnosis but it's not like that with depression. There's no blood test or brain scan that shows how much serotonin is in our, our brains. There, there is no test for that. The idea that depression may in, in some way be connected with serotonin derives from the studies of how antidepressants actually work. Okay? So... Like I said, there's no way to determine the level of serotonin that, that's in our brains. We can't directly measure it um, the same way we measure hormones in the bloodstream. And what that means is there isn't any clear proof or evidence for that specific theory of depression. Yeah, Willie. Could, could the fact of Christians understanding that we are sinners also have something to do with depression? Yeah. That, that might be something that's beyond the just taking a pill. Right. And, 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 and 
That's going to be part of what, well, that is part of what we've been saying for the last few weeks, okay? Is that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. There's lots going on, both internal and external to us. And so there's potentially contributing factors. Yes. So, um, so I think that to say that depression is caused by low serotonin levels is, is probably saying too much, okay? I mean, there may be a biological component. And I think the reason it's, it's important to just be clear about that is for a couple of reasons. I think there's a couple of reasons to be clear, at least in the case of antidepressants. And, and I think the reason to, to be clear about that is because embracing a theory of, of depression, this popular theory, could potentially have the impact on us of making us very passive in, in the process. Like, okay, the only solution here for me is I need to get medication, you know, full stop, end of story. And so, so again, we, we said that a few weeks ago that when we assume a patient posture, you know, that's typically passive. And there's usually other things that we can do as well. And then conversely, holding that theory somewhat loosely uh, will help us potentially be more active or um, at least be open to some other possible contributing factors like Willie was pointing out. Yeah. Um, John, so like the medication, like my fans, like he's been diagnosed with depression, severe depression. Yeah. And it took a few rounds of increasing the dose. He's on a medication called Celexa. It's kind of the general one that's made. Um, once he finally found the right balance for it, but he still, it seems like he's still not there enough where I, I told him, I said, you could slightly increase it more if you needed. Mm-hmm. But he's like, the levels are, he's like, I'm fine, but I'm like, so then why the level, I said, you still feel a bit, you seem a bit off still. But also, like my dad said, counseling would be a key thing to help with yeah. that possibly as well. Yeah, so, yeah that's, trying, that... I mean, I'm trying to wrap my head in how to help, help that... him to get better or help him more man- be more manageable. That, that's where we're headed. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I, so hear me. Please stay until we've talked about, please stay till the end, okay? Because, because I'm, not, I'm not saying that taking antidepressants is wrong, okay? Hear me clearly, that's not what I'm saying. Relieving depression uh, can be a great help and a great good, okay? It's just that when antidepressants work, we aren't exactly sure how they work. Okay, that's, that's, all, that's all I'm saying. We just don't know exactly why or how they work, but we know that in certain cases they can work. Let me give you um, a brief history of psychiatric drugs, and this is very, very brief. Um, one of the things, there, there's a couple of books I'll show you here later, but... If you read about the history of psychiatric drugs, it's a, or, or just psychiatry, it's a fascinating read. Um, and one of the things you learn is that for many, if not most, of, of the psychiatric drugs that are currently in use, they were discovered by accident. Okay? So I'm going to just give you a couple of examples. There is this drug that I don't think this is used much anymore, chlorpromazine. 
um, was, was the first drug that was widely used to treat schizophrenia. Schizophrenia is a, is a mental illness that involves like delusions, um, hallucinations, unusual physical behavior, disorganized speech and thought, and sometimes paranoia. I mean, it's a serious, serious illness. And chlorpromazine was the first drug to wide, be widely used to treat that mental illness. And this drug was discovered because researchers were using uh, antihistamine-like drugs that are in the same class. They were using drugs like that to treat this condition that was known as post-surgical shock. So people would go into surgery. This is like 40s, 30s, 40s-ish, 50s. People would go in for surgery and they would experience what was called post-surgical shock. And researchers noticed that patients who took chlorpromazine were more relaxed about their surgery and that they needed fewer painkillers afterward. And so researchers got to thinking and uh, they thought, well, maybe this might be useful in psychiatric conditions. And so they began to experiment, if you will, and give it to patients that were, you know, very severely uh, mentally ill. And they found that in many cases, it helped. It helped them. And so from the 1950s onwards, um, psychiatry was really transformed by the use of chlorpromazine and really by the use of, of, you know, psychoactive drugs to manage people with mental illness. It was very different um, prior to that. Um, In more recent history, SSRI drugs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, I'll mention briefly how those work here in just a a few minutes, but SSRIs, again, this idea that that some usages of these drugs are discovered by accident, these drugs were initially uh, developed for uh, depression, as we mentioned. Um, and, And what happened was they found just unexpectedly found that these drugs actually uh, helped uh, obsessive compulsive uh, uh, disorder. Um, uh, What else? Obsessive compulsive disorder, PTSD, they're used uh, for PTSD, and even for premenstrual, severe premenstrual symptoms. And again, these were just kind of discovered by accident, if you will. We'll get to that. We'll, I'll talk about the classifications. Yep, good question. Uh, let's see. Yeah, so, so the authors in this book, they basically, say, they basically say this. This isn't because, the use of these drugs isn't because we've learned new things about the biological causes of these specific conditions, schizophrenia, obsessive compulsive disorder. It isn't because we've learned something new about the biology, but simply because the drugs seem to help. Like, like we've tried them, and for, for some people, they seem to help. So um, side effects and other difficulties. Um, I don't think it's an overstatement. I'm obviously not a medical doctor. Um, are there any medical doctors here, nurses? Negative, wow. You're a what? I, I was in Belgium. Yeah, okay. Well, okay, let's try, let's try this statement out. I don't think it's an overstatement to say that every medication 
I mean, not just psychoactive medications, but every medication has side effects, right? Leva, would that be fair? Like, like the side effects may be very minute, but any drug that you take has some kind of side effect, okay? And um, yeah, I think of the drug commercials on TV, right? <laughs> you watch those commercials, it's like, wow, this is a wonderful drug, you know, and then there's three minutes of, you know, this raft of, of side effects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. That's super helpful. Yeah. So, so I think that's, I, I, look, I'm stating the obvious, but I'm saying medications have side effects. And so that is just something to consider. That's one reason to be cautious with any medication. And in the history of psychiatry, there have been many examples of a drug becoming very, very popular right, at a point in time, and then later discovering that there were some significant side effects. One example of that uh, is this drug. Uh, if you're old enough, you remember Valium. I mean, Valium was, was kind of the, the drug of choice, like let's pre prescribe Valium. And um, certainly, I'm sure it was helpful for certain people, but um, what was I going to say about that? Yeah, it became a popular treatment for anxiety in the 1960s. However, you know, a decade later, it was discovered that this drug is addictive and that people that just quit were having severe withdrawal symptoms, okay? So that, that's one example. Uh, Prozac is, is similar as well. Um, so here's again, trying to be cautious trying to be wise. Again, the authors say, perhaps it's inevitable that any drug which affects the functioning of, of the brain will have both positive effects and effects that we don't want. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I had coffee this morning. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so so really, it it, it it's a serious thing though. Um, so, oh, I don't have a, a hard copy of it. Uh, there's a book. There's if you, I'll have this at the end too. There's a book called Mind Fixers. Mind Fixers. It's not a Christian book. It's written by a Harvard uh, professor. Uh, um, Harvard professor named Anne Harrington. She wrote a book called Mind Fixers, and it's basically a history of psychiatry. And uh, it's actually an interesting, it's a good read. She's a good author. And she provides this historical survey of what she describes as, quote, psychiatry's troubled search for the biology of mental illness. Psychiatry's troubled search for the biology of mental illness. Again, she's, this, she's not a Christian, as far as I know. And she notes how psychiatrists from different eras have made, quote, audacious promises on which they could not deliver. Um, and, and what she means by that, if you go back into the history of psychiatry, at one era of psychiatry, 
the, the thing to help people was seen as the mental asylum. Like, like, like they need to be in an asylum. That's going to be the way to treat people. And then next, there was psychoanalysis. You've heard of Sigmund Freud, his psychoanalysis uh, uh, theories and practices were, were applied. Uh, then, after, after psychoanalysis, there was surgery and electroconvulsive therapy. So lobotomies, like we're going to do surgery, we're going to lobotomize people and do ECT, electroconvulsive uh, therapy. That was a period of time. Those were the main uh, treatments with psychiatry. The next solution was improved social conditions. Um, and now, what's, what's the treatment of choice, do you think? Medication, pharmacology. And, and she notes that what's interesting about the history of psychiatry is that every era, once we get to the next era, we look back on the previous era and ridicule, like, can you believe that? They lobotomized people, you know, and did electroconvulsive uh, therapy. Um, so the new solution always seems like, like the best one. And... I need to stop at this point because if you think this is like a takedown of medications, please stay with me. I'm not, I'm not trying to do a takedown on medications. That's not my intent. It's not my conclusion. What I'm just trying to give you is some context for medications, okay? This is just some context. Um, and the reason I want to do that is because... Like we've said in the last weeks, like Willie brought up again, we're complicated human beings and we want to see, we, we want to be open to the fact that there could be multiple treatments that are helpful to us as human beings. There's so many different factors that contribute to mental, potentially to mental illness, okay? Um, because we tend to think about, I, I think, we tend to think about medication as kind of an either or you know, all or nothing type of thing. So, you know, medication is either the only solution, you know, we can think that, we see drug treatments as the only solution, or we might even see, you know, taking medication as like a, a non-Christian, you know, like that's, that's, that's just giving in to a non-Christian way of walking in the world. And I don't think either of those are actually the case. Um, yeah, before before I give some uh, before I give some common principles, what I think are wise principles for using medication. Let me just talk about um, uh, some of the groups of medication. Emma was was going to bring that up. So here's some some common groups of medication just to be aware of. This isn't this is not an exhaustive list. Uh, one is the group that we've talked about: antidepressants. And those are typically SSRIs, selective uh, serotonin reuptake inhibitors, okay? And the theory is that the, the SSRIs stop the reabsorption reabsor of serotonin in the brain, okay? So they stop the reabsorption so that there's more serotonin available. Does that make sense? So it blocks this absorption 
of serotonin so that there's more available. That's the theory of how they, of how they work. And again, that would lead to this idea uh, of increased serotonin levels in the, in the neurons, in those, in those junctions. So there's many, many good books on depression that you can read. Uh, one book I want to commend to you. Um, because I like this book because it kind of gives you, it's, it's, it's part memoir, and so you, you kind of get to experience what dark, maybe what we would call clinical depression feels like. And this is written by a Christian. It's called Darkness is My Only Companion. And, and I like this book, like I said, because she, she just describes what life is like for her. And it's, it's, it's pretty dark. It's pretty, yeah. So that would be a good book to read if you want to read on depression. Um, and another, uh, I said OCD is treated with, um, is with SSRI drugs nowadays. This is a book on, uh, I, li- I love this book. It's uh, uh, A Quiet Mind to Suffer With. The subtitle is Mental Illness, Trauma, and the Death of Christ. I'm, I'm reading through this for the second time. It's, it's a great book, and again, you'll get kind of an inside view uh, to what OCD feels like. And this guy, this, this is a really powerful book. Um, and, and then obviously, you can read the Psalms. Right? I mean, there's so many psalms. In fact, darkness is my closest friend. That's the final line of Psalm 88. Right? And so you can read the psalms to get an experience, uh, to experience what anxiety, depression uh, feels like. Uh, the, next, the next group are, I don't even know how to say this. How do you say that word? Anxiolytics? Anxiolytics? That's, that's a group of drugs that treat anxiety, hence the name. Um, there's lots of different drugs that, 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 that can be used. Benzodiazepines like diazepam, lorazepam are two name brands that, uh, that are used. And again, there's a, I'm not even going to try and explain it, but there's a theory on how, how these drugs work with respect to the neuro, certain neurotransmitters in the brain. And again, it's, it's theory, but they seem to work in certain cases, okay? So many books on anxiety. Um, this isn't a memoir per se, but it's a helpful book written by a, a biblical counselor called Running Scared. If, uh, if you're looking for a resource, I need to get these in the, in the bookstore. <laughs> Running Scared, this is, a, this is a helpful book, so I commend that to you. Um, then there's the, the class of antipsychotics. And these are used to treat um, schizophrenia and, and paranoid states. Um, typically, these are severe kind of psychiatric disturbances. So, so like I said, schizophrenia, typically the symptoms, there's delusions, um, uh, hallucinations, unusual physical behavior, disorganized thinking and speech, paranoid states. And the main theory of how, uh, how these drugs work is that they block dopamine uh, receptors in the brain. And um, let's see here. Oh, come on. Okay, good. Um, so Thorazine, Risperdal, and Abilify are three types of drugs uh, that are used that are in that class of antipsychotics. 
This is a little booklet. It's not a memoir, but it's a little booklet called, and you can't have my copy. I'm sorry, but you got to get this yourself. <laughs> but it's written by a guy named Todd Stride, and he's with the Christian Counseling and Education Foundation, which is a great organization. And I'm just so happy to have a biblical counselor uh, write something on helping people with schizophrenia, um, walking alongside them and applying biblical truth for people who are struggling with schizophrenia. So you could check that out. Um, love Todd. He's really good. Uh, and let's see. I think I got one more. Yeah, mood stabilizers. So mood stabilizers, this class would be used to treat uh, bipolar disorder. Would be um, one of the main usages. And uh, you may have heard of lithium, the drug lithium. And typically that's used to, uh, you know, if you think of, of bipolar as, you know, deeply depressive and then highly manic or, or heightened states, lithium is attempting to, to, to lessen those extremes, okay? Um, and, and usually lithium is kind of a long-term type of, of preventative, ongoing type of drug, okay? If you want to get a real, this is... This, this is not a Christian book, uh, but I, I had to read this book um, in seminary um, for our biblical counseling uh, program. It's called An Unquiet Mind by Kay Jameson. It's fascinating. It's memoir, so you, get, you actually feel what bipolar disorder looks and feels like. I mean, it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty incredible. And she is hugely helped by lithium. So I think your, your example was, was that. And so, um, and what's interesting about this is she's actually a professor of psychiatry. I think she was at UCLA maybe. And so she's actually experiencing all of this. Um, so that's a, it's, a really, it's a really good read and um, it can help you understand uh, bipolar disorder, okay? Wow, I'm just bleh. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I, I, I want to get through this and then um, move on to, well, I guess next week we're going to talk about a few, few other things. But um, so, so let, me, let me just give you some principles. These are, these are my best, I guess, wisdom for using medications. And, and, and I, based on everything we've said in the last few weeks, to me, these seem like wise principles for using medication. And I think, I, I think that needs to be clearly stated. So, so number, the number one principle for using medication is that using medication is a wisdom issue. It's, it's not a sin to use medication. Um, it's not a capitulation to you know, our current culture, in my humble opinion. It's a wisdom issue whether to use medication or not. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, it's a wisdom issue. Okay? So nothing necessarily wrong with that. <clears throat> Here would be, uh, I think, a wise principle for using medication. Use as little as possible for as short a time as possible. Use as little as possible for as short a time as possible. Since every medication has potential side effects... Um, I probably should stop using coffee based on that to be consistent, right? Um, 
but it seems wise to use as little medication as possible for as short a time as possible. Having said that, um, like, like I said, there's certain, certain uh, disorders where medication, like the bipolar, those are typically a longer term type of deal, okay? So that would be a, a second principle. A third one would, would say to view medication as a help, but not the silver bullet solution, okay? What we mean by that is that medication should be seen as part of a comprehensive treatment strategy. You know, no matter what you're experiencing, diet, sleep, exercise, like that's gonna be helpful, okay? So, um, knowing God, you know, learning to trust, understanding his grace and goodness to you, um, those are all gonna be part of, of what's gonna be helpful. Um, yeah, we said that we said that medication alone, typically in the studies I've seen, medication alone versus medication plus counseling, the efficacy, the effectiveness of of medication plus counseling is far greater. So yeah, counseling. Um, so don't view medication as just the silver bullet solution, like it's going to fix everything. Uh, number four. The use of medication is not separate from faithful discipleship. The use of medication is not separate from faithful discipleship. And what this means is that whenever science advances in ways that can be a help to us, we give thanks for that. You know, where, where science helps us relieve suffering, we see these as good gifts from God. And so stewarding those gifts wisely makes a lot of sense. And what I mean by this is that instead of seeing the pill, you know, this medication as your solution, see it as God's gift. Like he's given, he, there's common grace. And so people and resources have been developed to help alleviate suffering or relieve suffering, right? And so I see the, the pill not as the good savior, but I see God is like, wow, he's provided these, these good things uh, to help us, okay? And then last is the decision to use or stop using medication must involve medical supervision. Must involve medical supervision. Psychoactive drugs are complicated, uh, wide range of effects and side effects, and so um, those using or seeking to use these medications should do so with medical supervision. Just a personal anecdote. I've known, I've known a number, several people personally who have just out of the blue told me, yeah, I just quit taking my medication. Like I just decided to stop. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing, man? Like that's like just deciding to stop cold turkey can be dangerous. So, so decisions to use or stop using medication need to involve medical supervision, okay? What do you think? Are, do those seem reasonable, wise principles? And may, maybe you don't agree and that's okay. 
but we can still be friends, all right? Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we can still be friends. I want to close with a concluding illustration. This is from, um, oh, I forgot this book. This is a book by a guy named Mike Emlett from CCEF, from the Christian Counseling and Education Foundation. This guy happens to be a medical doctor. He formerly had a, a family practice as a medical doctor. He is now a full-time biblical counselor with CCEF. And he wrote a book called uh, Descriptions and Prescriptions, A Biblical Perspective on Psychiatric Diagnoses and Medications. And what I'm saying here is, I, I think, basically his, his perspective. But it's super helpful because he explains a lot of the things that we've talked about. The title? Uh, Descriptions and Descriptions and Prescriptions by Mike Emlett, E-M-L-E-T. Yeah, good guy. Um, and here's his, here's his illustration with respect to medications. He likens the use of medications to how to treat an ankle injury. He says, following an ankle injury, people often need to use crutches to support themselves. Usually such support is only needed for a time while healing of the ankle takes place. After that, the support can and should be withdrawn. Indeed, continuing use of the crutches longer than is necessary may produce new problems in the ankle by preventing it from functioning normally. But some ankle injuries can be so bad that long-term support for the ankle is the only solution. Even in those cases, however, there will be other things that can and must be done to support and care for the injured ankle alongside uh, that ongoing physical support. You know, physical therapy, regular exercise, et cetera, et cetera. And so the authors of mental health in your church say this, this can be a helpful way to view the use of psychiatric drugs. They are the temporary support that can help manage the condition while other things are done to help improve things. But sometimes the illness requires much longer term use of drugs. In these ways, medication can play a vital part in treatment. Okay? So, there you go. Yeah. I'm looking forward to moving on to different topics. Thank you for letting me, thank you for letting me talk about that, though. Um, and hopefully that was helpful in some way. All right? Let me pray for us. Our Father, we do thank you that you are the God of, of all grace, salvific grace in and through your son, Jesus Christ, and, and common grace through even these medications we've been talking about. Father, would you help us look to you, give thanks to you, see whatever good gifts there are that relieve our suffering as, as kindnesses, as, as gifts of grace from you to us. Lord, thank you for our time together this morning. We give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.